Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Calm You podcast. This is Chloe Brotheridge. As usual, I am the author of The Anxiety Solution, a hypnotherapist, and I specialize in helping people with anxiety. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this is the first time that you're joining me on the podcast, if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your support up until now. Um, I love getting messages from you and um, emails and you know seeing your posts on Instagram. And it really inspires me to keep going with this podcast. So please get in touch. If you've got any feedback, you can find me on Instagram at Chloe Brotheridge. And I would love to hear from you. So this week, I am really lucky to be joined by Claire Eastman, who is the author of the best-selling book, We're All Mad Here. It's a book about social anxiety. And she runs the blog, We're All Mad Here, which is an incredibly popular and successful blog, helping people with all different types of anxiety. And in this podcast, we're going to be talking about social anxiety and touching on topics such as insomnia, and even public speaking. And if you don't know about Claire already, she's gonna share a bit about her journey with anxiety. I think you're gonna find that she's really down to earth. She really knows her stuff and yet she's very relatable as well. So she's also very, very funny as well. So that's always a bonus. When we're talking about mental health, it can get pretty heavy. So to have a voice like Claire, adding some levity to the conversation, I think is really helpful. And if you're not already signed up to my email list, I want to invite you to come over to karma-u.com forward slash free. I will send you a free relaxation MP3 and I'll also get in touch about every fortnight, letting you know about events that I've got going on. I'll send you details of the latest podcasts and blog posts that are up on Karma U. And every now and again, I give away little freebies as well, or I might make um, a recording or a worksheet and send that out. So you're only going to get that if you're signed up to my newsletter. So head over to karma-u.com and join me there. So I really hope you enjoy this interview with Claire and let me know what you think. Hi Claire, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have a proper chat with you. I wanted to just sit down and have a chat to you for ages and hopefully we'll get to hang out in real life at some point soon but yeah um, over Skype we'll do for now um yeah. I'm sure lots of people do know about you and your work but for anyone that doesn't can you just tell us a bit about um your story and um the work that you do sure so I'm a mental health blogger 
I write the blog We're All Mad Here, which is a quote from Alice in Wonderland. It's <laughs> my favorite one. I, my kind of, um, I don't know, career, so to speak, with mental health began by accident because I live with social anxiety and panic disorder, but I wasn't actually diagnosed until 2013 when I had a nervous breakdown. I'm one of those people who's kind of like white knuckle it, okay, keep going, keep going. No, it's fine. It's fine. We'll just get through this meeting. We'll just get through this project. And then, but the kind of moment to relax or take care of yourself just never happened with me. And I had a nervous breakdown. I actually, I laugh about it now and it's a story I tell a lot, but I was in a meeting and I had what I now know is a panic attack. But at the time, I thought I was dying or losing my mind. And even in that circumstance, because I have social anxiety, I was like, well, I best not draw attention to myself. So I yeah. stood yeah. up and said in front of like five people in this Jane Austen style voice that I have a neurovirus and I must leave at once. Yeah. I've never said it once in my entire life. Yeah. But that's what came to me. And I bolted out of the room and all the way down the street. And that's when I had to confront what was going on in my head because it literally burst through my subconscious. Yeah. And I mean, after I was diagnosed, a lot of the stuff that I was reading was either really clinical, like to an extent that like, I don't understand any of this. And, or it was bleak. Mm. I think a, a lot of the problem with the internet is that people don't go back and update say the person who says social anxiety has ruined my life i haven't you know been able to leave the house in a year when they're better they don't go back and say oh no it's fine so that gets like stuck in cyberspace for someone like me to read so during my recovery i thought if i get better i'm going to start writing some of this down in plain english like no kind of trying to seem smarter than i am or whatever i'm just going to jot it down and stuff that i've learned that i think helps and uh, people really responded to it. And it kind of, the blog eventually became a book of the same name, which, yeah, is incredible when I think about it. Amazing, amazing. And I must have come across your blog years ago. I can't remember when it was, but I'd followed you for ages. And I think we met at your book launch. Yeah. Was that last year or the year before? Yeah. Um, and what I love about your blog is that, you know, you're so open and honest and it, and so kind of down to earth with everything and um, I know that you know it's been incredibly popular I think because people can really relate to it and you give advice that is very practical and and easy to sort of follow so keep up that amazing work with that. Thank um, you. Yeah and you know a lot of what you're saying about um, kind of having social anxiety and panic attacks and just kind of keep keeping going I think that's such a common thing isn't it people will be suffering for ages and ages before they go and get some help or even acknowledge that, you know, it is, it's not just shyness. It's not just, you know, yeah. you're, there's something, you know, wrong with you that, you know, is only you suffer from this. Actually, it is something that is a recognised issue and you should get some help with it. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's exactly, it's a good point you've touched on about shyness because as a kid, you know, it's like, oh, she's just shy and that kind of thing. But as an adult, that's no longer acceptable and you have to then be able to hold a conversation. And if you struggle with that, that kind of thing in the back of your head, like you're shy, it then becomes a negative, like there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and so what would you say were the differences between being shy and actual social anxiety? How do you make that distinction? Well, I always see shyness as like temporary. When somebody gets into a social situation, they might seem a bit shy at first. Uh, I mean, this is a really weird, weird way to put it. But, you know, like when you first meet a, a dog or a cat, how they're a bit wary for the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then they're fine. And like that's shyness to me. Like that kind of, oh, I don't know you. Let's take a minute until I feel more comfortable. Where in like the opposite is social anxiety is you do not relax throughout that entire social interaction. And after it's taken place, you kind of go over it and pick it to pieces and analyze it to point out what did I do wrong? What could I do better next time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, unfortunately, there's still so much shame around social anxiety because, I mean, just talking from my own experience with it, thinking that we should be able just to snap out of it or, you know, we're too, you know, I'm too old to be shy now. I should just be able to do these things. Other people can do it. Why can't I do it? And actually, you know, when you're actually experiencing it, you know that it's so debilitating and it feels impossible sometimes for you to do things that it seems like other people find so easy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, a lot of what you've, what you've done is just to kind of take away that shame and stigma around social anxiety and get us talking about it more, which I think is really amazing. Yeah. Sorry about, you know, what's the word? Uh, comparing people to animals. You know, mm. <laughs> like, I'm a huge animal lover. So I'm like, hmm, how can I bring my dog into this? Yeah. <laughs> well, we are animals, essentially. We're more sophisticated, but we are, we are still animals. And your dog is amazing, by the way. I am very jealous of your dog. Um, well, she's great. I mean, she's so honest. If she's, you know, uncomfortable, she'll just hide under the couch. And I'm like, that seems like a great idea. Why yeah. is that not acceptable for me? You know? <laughs> amazing so so I mean what what um just going back to kind of your your kind of journey what what um when did you actually get help and when did you and what things did you try and what what helped you with your with your anxiety I was uh prescribed sertraline which is an SSRI medication could we just take a moment to point out like, SSRI medication I could say the entire you know correct name for it but I'm like really <laughs> that's just a prime example of something that's really overcomplicated. Yes, but, yeah, uh, yeah. So I take that, which I still take today, but a lower dosage. I, uh, I've i actually just started seeing a therapist again now after a long time because it helped me the first time around. Uh, CBT and a little bit of just talking therapy. Yeah. You know, like just blah, get it all out of the head and into the cold light of day and... Being honest and talking about it in general has been a huge thing for me because I kept it a secret for 24 years. Uh, just to be able to say, actually, I'm not okay. I'm very uncomfortable. Um, it doesn't mean I can't enjoy the party. I just might need five minutes to kind of, you know, just relax and just calm down a little bit. Uh, and the usual boring exercise because I really like, you know, going for a walk or treadmill or that kind of stuff really I'm really into audiobooks at the moment oh amazing yeah Any yeah excuse to, like go for a run and be like yes Norse mythology <laughs> I have to get your recommendations because I am a lover of audiobooks as well um yeah so I mean I suppose I, I talked in my last um podcast about shame and how you know our mental health issues are compounded by the fact that we keep things to ourselves because we're ashamed of people knowing and 
the, the moment we're, that we're open about um, what we're experiencing, it does feel as if something has lifted. And it's not the cure for, for mental health issues, but it really does um, does help just to talk about that. I mean, what, what would you say to people who are still in that, still at that point where they're keeping things to themselves about whether it's telling fr- friends or family or any advice that you'd have for them? I mean, it's so easy to say, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And I, I worry that that borders, borders on kind of being patronising at times because I know that, but, it, you know, the person has to figure, you know, discover that for themselves. But so I always do the the physical comparison. Like I said, you know, you, you wouldn't be ashamed of a broken bone, would you? You wouldn't be embarrassed because you had a headache or uh, stubbed your toe or something. So try and give your brain the same respect. I think if, you, if you're going to tell someone, that's fantastic. If it can be a family member, great. If not, then, you know, the Samaritans, Anxiety UK and... I would even say just jot a few things down because if you don't, if you're not used to talking about it, it, it can be like a rabbit in the headlights, you know, like, uh, I, I just, I don't, I don't feel right. Or so I can like write down the symptoms, like physical and emotional and how it affects you and uh, kind of take it from there, really. And I think nine times out of 10, people are really pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yes. You know, we've all gone through it. I, I'm just really firm believe that at some point in your life, everybody goes through something like it, you know? Yeah, that's such a good idea to to make some notes beforehand before you're going to speak to someone or even before your first therapy session or something, just to have those ideas to hand so that you're not... I suppose it takes a bit of pressure off that you don't have to think on your feet or, you know, if you get lost for words or something, you've got that back up there. Absolutely. I'm I'm hilarious when it comes to therapy because the first session, both times, and I thought I'd be better this time, you know, because it's a few years later, like, I'll be fine. No, I turned up. I didn't take my coat off. I was sat on the edge of the chair and she's like, how are you? I'm like, I'm fine. Yes. How are you? Yeah. Yeah. So we're not sat here for you to be like, I'm fine. Yes. Tell me about your life. Like, no, this is why we make notes. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's so, I think it's so good for people to um to talk about the fact that they've had therapy because I've noticed obviously yourself and some other people that I follow on Instagram have talked about the fact that they're having therapy and I think it just helps to normalize it because actually I think it should be normal because we are all going to struggle with something at some point in our lives and um I think we all we all need help and just to normalize that process I think is going to encourage so many people to do it so um so to people listening who are thinking about having therapy um you know it 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 does work it's not this I don't know do people think it's airy fairy or people what do you think holds people back from from going and getting help I suppose it's the self I mean for me it's the self-indulgent side of it you know like yeah. my, my life's fine what have I got to complain about you know I've not you know I don't live in poverty you know I'm not I don't have any kind of horrible tragic physical impairment I thought so that I was like I you know I was really kind of ashamed and felt guilty about going but that in itself is part of the trick you know the anxiety trick I think because it, it again fools you into thinking you don't deserve help mm-hmm. and everybody deserves help absolutely absolutely and yeah I suppose mental health issues don't discriminate you know you could be 
I think if you look at statistics, for example, of models, they have rates of anxiety and depression much higher than the general population. So you can be really successful, beautiful, Mm -hmm. you know, physically perfect and yet still be anxious or depressed. And it, you know, your life experiences don't necessarily have um, a bearing on that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, what do you think um, has helped you the most in terms of your kind of mental health journey? To repeat myself, it is actually being open and honest about it. Mm -hmm. And not just with close uh, people close to me, like family and friends. I actually, before I worked for myself, I was honest with my employers about it, which I never thought I would. And I, uh, it just helped me to, it's like almost gets that weight off my shoulder, that thing digging. I always say it's like a tiger digging its claws in my back. This horrible fear of they mustn't find out because if they do, you'll never get promoted, and they think they'll think you can't do your job. And uh, I can't speak for every employer, but mine were great. They were really supportive, and I just explained that it won't hinder me any more than a bad cold would. You know, I might not be on form for a few days, but it's not going to affect my performance. Yeah, I think that's such an important topic because I know when I was working in a, in a kind of job for a company um, years ago, I accessed the, the therapy service through work, but I could only get an appointment during the day, which would mean I'd have to tell my boss about having to take time off to work to do this. And I ended up not um, accessing that because I was too scared basically to talk to my employer. And I, I, know I, can't, I can't remember what I did in the end. Maybe I went privately or maybe I just... I think maybe I just didn't have have any therapy and just kind of got on with it, unfortunately. Um, And I know this is something you talk about. Was this the topic of your Stylist Live talk about kind of mental health at work? Or um, can you can you tell us a bit about that and what you what you shared in that talk? It was uh, embracing the power of vulnerability because. You know, I mean, a, a lot of TV shows today, which I'm a huge fan of, including Game of Thrones, portray this idea of you know this rock solid cunning strong all the time superhuman who never has a bad day and in order to win at life you always have to be on it you know you have to be everything to everyone and it's not only unhealthy it's impossible Mm. it's it's not achievable and I think the more we're kind of fed that by popular culture and I don't know by employers themselves the worse mental health is going to get so I kind of spoke about that and how people can be more vulnerable uh at work in their own lives but in a kind of safe way not as in like because I don't know vulnerable is a strange it's an interesting word because it implies kind of weakness Mm. I really want to change that and be like it's a good thing to show that you're human to show that I have a bad day you know Mm. I have bad days I might need some help and I think you learn so much more when you open up uh, yourself to get help so. yeah absolutely and and so would your recommendation be that people should should be open with their employers or their line manager at work and tell them what's going on with them and um you know be open about that where possible because I know it's not some people don't have good relationships with their managers and that kind of thing but uh where possible that's great if you could start with a colleague or yeah or even you could speak to someone in HR 
they have to employers have to take mental health more seriously now with things like mental health first aid it's becoming uh much more kind of i don't want to say serious because it should be serious it's Mm -hmm. becoming uh, a priority and if they want you to thrive at work then they should accept the fact that you might have bad days uh, brain wise Mm -hmm. and if you kind of take control and say this is what i might need from you if i'm having a bad day and this is rubbish you might have to edit this out (laughs) no don't worry at all uh i'll reset i'll reset that um it's just yeah it depends on the kind of relationship you have but i think that you you say in your book about putting your health when you start putting your health and well-being first the change is incredible in all aspects of your life Mm. I like that phrase a a bad brain day because sometimes it just feels like that doesn't it if you're having a day where your mental health feels shaky and it feels hard to to do the things that you would normally be able to do um just to kind of acknowledge that I think is really important and I was reading recently that stress is the most um the biggest cause of work disability in the world um so stress and kind of mental health issues so yeah obviously employers need to be starting to take that more seriously and and start to do more for people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um can you can you talk a bit about your experiences with public speaking because for someone with social anxiety um you know it's it's public speaking has got to be the worst the worst kind of aspect of (laughs) that hasn't it can you can you talk a bit about that yeah, the irony, irony is not lost on me at all. I'm like, what? When I talk about social anxiety, stood on a stage with like 100 people listening, it's, uh, um, I suppose you might say it's, it affects people in different ways. I, I get incredibly nervous to the point that I could vomit before I go on stage and I get nervous like everybody else. But I'm much more, um, I struggle a lot more, say, in meetings or at parties or, um, you know, when people, that direct line of people looking at me mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm crowded in an environment, whereas when I'm like talking to people who I'm not perhaps making eye to eye contact with everyone and I have a script and no one can interrupt me with like a question. Well, you know, at the end, I mean, like in normal conversations, people might chip in or there isn't that because I'm one of these people who um, has to fill uncomfortable silences. So I'll just talk absolute crap and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> whereas during a presentation it's something I've kind of planned and become more comfortable with mm-hmm. well I still think yeah it's amazing to be, to be able to do that despite despite the the kind of the the issues around feeling very nervous and I mean do you what would you advise to someone who perhaps has social anxiety or gets so nervous about things like public speaking what have you learned about that that's helped you or do, would you have any sort of advice for them Sure. Actually, you know what? I did myself a disservice there because it hasn't come easily. You know, after my breakdown, I couldn't even sit in an office without having a panic attack. So the idea of speaking in public was just an absolute no. But I did, um, I think, I don't know if you've ever heard of exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. So it always makes me laugh because, you know, when they say like exposure therapy, it doesn't mean like if you're afraid of heights, jump off a building. It's much more, it's about building those foundations. If you, if public speaking is a part of what you, you know, your job is something you can't get away from, 
that's fine rather than just thinking oh god i only have to do it once a year or trying and avoid it let's work with that fear let's think okay do a little bit build those foundations so practice doing a presentation to yourself in the mirror feel uncomfortable and rather than trying to fight it think okay this is how i feel when i'm nervous this is what's going to happen and nothing more you know it's I think people worry about losing control or these horrible things that will happen when they do public speaking. And a lot of it is just the anxiety screaming in your head. I'm, a, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. So I did it that way. I built it like that. And then I did a presentation in front of my husband. He was a great audience. So it was Rigby, my dog. Uh, and then I did it in front of like friends. And I mean, it took about six months mm. of building it up to that level of it can't it doesn't have anything over me anymore if that makes sense it's i've almost taken the sting out of it because i've worked with it very slowly yeah yeah so so building up slowly and and starting with a you know someone that you trust and then sort of building up gradually and and knowing that you can handle the the feelings that they're that the nerves might be there but you can you can still get through it yeah i think i don't i don't know if you agree but it's like everyone you know happiness is something that's accepted people like you to be happy nobody tells you what to do when you feel so uncomfortable you want to be sick or you're terrified or you're sad so I think it's important to go there sometimes just to see just to take that terror out of it the kind of oh I'm not going to run around the room screaming or I'm not going to I don't know punch on the face it just feels awful but then oh that's it this is worse as it's going to get and then we'll breathe through it kind of thing. Absolutely. And and it's, you know, I've I've definitely done this in the past. It's so easy to want to just avoid the things that make you anxious and think, right, I'll, you know, because I, <clears throat> for ages, I thought public speaking is not for me. I'm just not that yeah. sort of person. I'm just going to keep myself quiet. I'm going to sit at the back of the room in the meeting and just not say anything. And, you know, I just, I'm I'm not that sort of person. And for ages, just was telling myself this. And then when I did start to <clears throat> sort of push myself out of my comfort zone and be be uncomfortable, your your confidence grows as you do it. Um, but, you know, it's it's a natural thing to want to avoid feeling that horrible discomfort. So, Absolutely. of course, we're going to try and sort of do that if it is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and another thing that I think a lot of people will relate to and... It was something that I think you were posting on about um, on Instagram about I think it was last week and it was about insomnia and yeah. kind of how anxiety and panic had kind of contributed to that. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and, and share about that? I, I mean, my relationship with sleep has always been quite volatile. Uh, anxiety goes uh, goes straight for the the kind of the nighttime routine. That's the first thing to go. That's when I know something's not quite right, but. The, over the last month, I've been experiencing uh, insomnia, and it's been really, really challenging. I've, it's kind of, you know, I've had panic attacks during the day, and I can deal with them because, but when it happens at nighttime, when everyone's asleep and you don't know what's happened, and it's it's a lot harder. I also developed like a random twitch as well, mm. which again is all kind of part of the anxiety. But in that moment, you kind of think this is different this is something new, this time I'm dying. Yeah, yeah. But if it isn't, and 
I had to take a good a good week out to I had to go see the doctor and talk about different options. It definitely doesn't help that you know you read all this stuff about sleep hygiene and they tell you how important sleep is and that if you don't get enough sleep you won't be able to function and it's a bit like great. Mm. I know that that's not helping me at 1am when I can't sleep and I don't know what to do and all I can think of is oh I need to get this much sleep and it's it kind of a, a vicious circle. I think there can be loads of pressure around sleep um, especially if you're not sleeping well that pressure to you know you, you're checking the clock at three o'clock in the morning you're thinking oh god there's only four hours and I've got to be at work yeah. I've got to do this and and also there's pressure around the the, the nighttime routine, I think, for lots of people. You know, oh, I've got to be in my pyjamas at nine. I've got to be drinking my, my hot milk at 9.30. Yeah. And if my phone's not off by this time, then I'm not going to be able to sleep. And it can almost be another an extra source of anxiety if you're not able to always be in that routine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a tricky one because, yeah, for lots of people, a good routine, you know, before bed really helps. For others, it can almost be an extra kind of source of um, issues. Um, yeah. But that thing of kind of feeling like you're going to die, I think that's that's maybe the thing that people that have never experienced anxiety don't understand. They don't realise that you actually, it gets to that point where you're, yeah, so terrified that you think this is it. Um, yeah. I was, yeah, I, prompted by what you kind of shared the other day about your insomnia, I was remembering in the past and it, it, it kind of, I got reminded by it because I, at the moment I've got a bit of a cough and a cold and I feel like I can't breathe properly. And it reminded uh, yeah. me about how so much in the past, if I'd, you know, had a cough or a cold or something, really struggling in the night thinking that I couldn't breathe, that I was going to die in the night, that, you know, horrible, horrible feelings. And I haven't got to that point now, but I, it just kind of brought it back to me that... Um, yeah, how those triggers can happen and how much worse things seem at, yeah, three in the morning or something. Um, I mean, do you do, do you have any suggestions for people that are struggling with insomnia? What, what have you kind of, anything that you've learned through your experience recently that you want to share? Uh, something really obvious, like the whole don't look at your phone, which everybody's, and I'm one of these people who are like, no, 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 it doesn't affect me. I quite like, you know, having a scroll through. I don't know, whatever I'm reading or watching something, it's relaxing. No, it isn't. Mm. It absolutely isn't because that's such a bad habit. Anything that's going to kind of stimulate that part of the brain is bad. It's the same as uh, if you do get up, don't put the TV on because you're effectively rewarding your brain for being awake and you're going to stimulate it again. Interesting. I tend to get up uh, at the moment and talk to myself. I talk to myself a lot. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but <laughs> I'll stand in front of the mirror and and say, in the same way I would talk to a panic attack, like, okay, we're awake. I'm listening to you. Like, there's obviously a problem. I can't believe I do this. It actually is in the mirror. Like, we're awake now. I'm here. I'm not fighting anymore. We're awake. I can't fall asleep. No problem. Um nothing bad is going to happen like I know that you feel like it is but nothing bad is going to happen you cannot you're not going to die tomorrow you can survive off a certain amount of sleep it's okay Mm. then after I've done that I'll kind of make myself a cup of tea do some breathing techniques and then I tend to do something really boring like clean the floor 
like I'm like right right off we go then let's do something like that and just let my mind naturally go blank without forcing it to do anything like don't try and relax I just try and just do it and see what happens I like that idea of doing something really boring so you know it's just not very tempting if you start watching something the series that you've been watching on tv you're going to be much more likely to stay awake clean the floor it's going to put you to to sleep you heard that from like when I hear that though externally now it makes me laugh like talk to yourself in the mirror and clean the floor that's completely (laughs) normal (laughs) um but I love the idea of talking to yourself actually because it does help you to step outside of yourself actually when you do that um and kind of almost as if you're able to step into another perspective a kind of calmer perspective and, and do that so definitely think people should be trying this if they aren't already talking to themselves they should start to make it a habit absolutely I don't know why but it works a lot better in the mirror I I mean because you I try you know we all talk to ourselves internally but if you actually say the words out loud and look at yourself in the eye it just seems to connect better yes okay okay yeah just don't let just don't let your housemates catch you no talking to yourself in the mirror or maybe they'll be, want to get in on it as well because yeah, it's a good maybe. good technique and tool <laughs> <laughs> amazing um so thank you so much for talking to me um yeah. you're a big inspiration to me and um it's really nice to to sit down and have a chat um yeah. can you tell us about what you're working on at the moment any exciting projects that you've got going on well, there's, there's book two, which can't talk about too much yet, but watch this space for later in the year. Nice. And it's Mental Health Awareness Week starting on the 14th of May. And I'm an ambassador for the charity MQ, and I'm going to be running an awareness campaign called uh, Brain, Body, Same Respect, which I'm very much looking forward to getting my teeth stuck in. So we'll see. Brilliant, brilliant. And I'll post a link to that campaign um, in the show notes for this podcast and and where can people find out more about you can you tell us what your blog is and what social media you're on as well absolutely so uh, you can find me the blog is we're all mad here if you type that into google it should be one of the first that come up and on twitter i'm at claire with a capital c so clary love don't ask about that that's that, was <laughs> that i never thought i'd have to use professionally and i can't change it now <laughs> and instagram i'm all mad here uk underscore perfect yeah and i'll put links in the show notes to those as well so people can find you really easily um thank you. well thanks so much for talking to me and i hope to see you soon claire um, yes you too thanks very much imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 